Last week, we uh, began the series, and we opened up with this, with this invitation to hope. And one of the things we talked about, um, which uh, it's online, and so you can check it out, but I'm just going to just briefly recap it, is that when it comes to hope, when it comes to biblical hope, is that we choose hope. That hope isn't dependent on our circumstances, on what might or might not happen, but that it's a, it's, it's a choice we make. Hello. And so, you know, often when we look at hope, we think of optimism, right? But actually, hope isn't optimism. Like, I'm a natural optimist. Like, an optimist looks at, like, the way things, like, you know, the glass is half full, right? Things can always work out. Hope is like, it may not work out, but I'm going to choose to be hopeful anyway. And that's what God is inviting us into and because we know that hope is one of the most important things. And that we come back to this place of looking forward to, of, of, of waiting with anticipation for what God is going to do in our lives. So in, in tradition and, 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 and as, as we continue, we are, are looking at our next invitation, which is this, this invitation to peace. So we're going to start off with this story in the beginning of Matthew, um, and this is called kind of one of the birth narratives. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, for many of us, this is a, a common story. Um... And so what we're going to do is talk about what this story has to say for us today. And uh, for those who may not be so familiar with this, this is one, uh, there's more than one account of the birth of Jesus. And so, but we're going to be specifically talking about this one and what God is inviting us to. So first thing we have to, uh, I, I want to look at, I want to kind of help us get some understanding first kind of some background and some understanding around the scripture and then kind of some application for it and then see what this looks like when it comes to peace. And so first thing we got to look at is one translation says that they were betrothed, Joseph and Mary. Have we heard that term, right? A lot of us have heard that term. It's kind of made into mainstream culture, betrothed. The, 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 the only problem with that is we kind of connect it to engagement, right? And so we like say, oh, an engagement is like a betrothal. The difference is in, in, in Jewish culture and in this time, 
is that while it was like an engagement, it was actually kind of the beginning of the marriage. So legally speaking, they were married. They just hadn't done, fulfilled all the, the ceremonial things to be married, which is why it said that he had to do a divorce. You couldn't just end the relationship because the betrothal was a legal um, arrangement. It was, it was a, it, and so it required a legal proceeding. And so that's what made this like one of the reasons why it was such a big deal is because this wasn't, you know, in kind of our context, you know, engagement was like, oh, you cheated on me, let's break it up, (laughs) right? So that's not what this is. This is actually something that runs much deeper. And so we have this issue. It says that Mary was found to be pregnant. So what what, what this implies is, is like, okay, Mary is showing. And so... Word gets to Joseph, like, hey, looks like Mary's pregnant. And so the natural response is, like, okay, according to the law, right? And so this, this is something that's important. Like, Joseph was a righteous person. He did his best to, like, be a faithful servant of God. And so according to the law, he's like, there's, there's really only two options, and um, the, the, the better option is to, to, to divorce her. And so that's, that's what the law says. And so, I mean, the other option is stoning, but they hadn't done that in like a thousand years because there was a later law that came um, in Scripture that said that wasn't, had to be the only thing that you could actually just do a divorce. And so the other option was just to take the kid as his own, even though it appeared that someone else had made her pregnant. Now, I think it's reasonable that Joseph would have this kind of a dilemma because even today, with 2,000 years of Christian history, if someone came up and told you, I'm pregnant, and God did it, you're going to have some trouble. (laughs) There's going to be, you're going to be like, see, I believe in God. Well, that's really, really hard to believe. That would be a very special episode on Maury Povich, right? It's like the kid is not mine. So Joseph is going through all this pondering, right? And and he's dealing with all of these things. He's trying to figure out what to do. And this leads to just a, a sense of fear. And we know that because the angel says, hey, Joseph, don't be afraid to continue on with the marriage. Because there's something that says, hey, I, like, he's, he's made this commitment. I, I, I want to do this, but it's like, no, don't be afraid. Just continue going with this. And so we have this huge dilemma. We have this fear. And so he's trying to figure out what to do. So we have this, this account of the birth of Jesus in Matthew. We have a different account of the birth of Jesus in Luke. And so they actually don't have a lot in common. Um, and so they really give it from very different perspectives. This is from the perspective of Joseph. The, uh, the other one, and Luke, is from the perspective of Mary. And so there are two important things that these two narratives have in common. One, both times the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid. Two, the angel of the Lord says, you're going to name him Jesus. So these are the two things that are in common with both narratives. And so... I want to explore that a little bit. So about two years 
after, uh, I think it was two years, if I recall correctly, after Jesus was born, um, they had to escape to Egypt because the king at the time, who was threatened by Jesus, said um, he was going to kill all the children who were two years old and younger. Do we remember this part of the story? So pretty drastic response, but okay. And so they escaped to Egypt. And that should sound familiar. Does that sound familiar to any other story we know in the Bible? Moses, right? So in the same way, the Hebrew uh, children were, were, were being killed. And so Moses' mother put him in a basket, and he escaped to Egypt. And so we have this, and then, then it says in one of the prophecies in, in, in Isaiah that my Savior, my Messiah, will be called out of Egypt, okay? And so we have this, these really interesting things happening, and you're like, Jesus is starting to remind us of Moses. And who was Moses? He was the Redeemer, right? He brought liberation and freedom to Israel. And so they say that his name is going to be Jesus. So there's something else too important that, 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 that I want to point out. Um, because this is important. I know we're getting into some details, but this is important. So the angel says, calls, what does he call Joseph? Joseph, son of David. Now, this is really important. Because it's normally when you refer to someone, you call them, you know, son of whoever their father is. And so... In this case, actually, Joseph's father is Jacob. So he should have said, Joseph, son of Jacob, right? And so it's like if the angel was talking to me, Jeremy, son of Percy, <laughs> right? Derek, son of, I actually don't know his name, but, you know, you get the point, right? And so he says, son of David. So that's an important, that's an important thing to realize because... David is the, the head of the lineage. David is like where this all begins as far as this liberating God who's going to continue to free his people. It all started with David. And so because he calls him son of David, he's indicating something to him like, hey, something really important is happening right now. This is more than your marriage. This is more than the birth. We're talking about all of history right now coming bare to this very moment. Something important is happening. Right before all of this in Matthew 1, Matthew gives the entire genealogy of Jesus. And so we have something happening here in this story that Matthew is trying to communicate. And this thing is... This birth, what's about to happen, has eternal implications. It stretches from the very beginning of history that we know until now. And so they say we're going to name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Latin form of, of, of Yeshua. That's, 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 that's the Hebrew name, Yeshua. And it means that Yahweh saves. So you're going to name this child Yahweh saves. 
And so when Joseph adopted Jesus, when he, when he said, okay, I'm going to move forward with the marriage, and he, he therefore adopted Jesus, which actually legally made him in the lineage of David and in this kingly and priestly lineage. And he named him Yahweh saves. So this is important. All right, and then later on in the scripture, so they call him Jesus, right? But he says what? They will call him Emmanuel. So it's like, we're calling him Jesus, but they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so I think this is, this is really important because Jesus is called God saves. That's his name, means Yahweh saves. But he's going to be called God with us. So his name is one thing. What he's going to be referred to is Emmanuel. And so Matthew starts his book with this, right? Emmanuel. God with us. And do you know how he ends the book? Do you know how he ends this whole thing? Let's look at it. Quoting Jesus, I am with you always. I am always with you. Even to the end of the age. I am with you forever. So if there's anything that this birth narrative teaches us about peace is God being with us. Because that is the source of our peace. To actually experience the very real God with us. That when we say Emmanuel, that when we sing Emmanuel, that we actually know what that means for us in our own lives. Because we all need to experience peace. It's his presence that creates the peace we long for. And so if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that presence or if it's been a while, I want to describe it for you. It's, it's like a warmth. Just this warmth that is, you know, like, like a heavy blanket, right? when it's cold. It's, it's safety. When you just know you're safe and, and know you're okay. It's a wholeness. It's like the voice of a friend that you haven't spoken to in a long time. The hand of a spouse when you're really struggling. The embrace of a loved one. That's what his presence is like. And that's what we need. Life without this peace can be paralyzing. So if Jesus' name represents the God who saves, that's what we learned, right? Jesus' name represents the God who saves. Could it be that Jesus can save us from our fears? Could it be that we can cry out to God and he will save us into his peace? 
So peace isn't simply an absence of conflict. It's, it's often a, a settling of our souls in the midst of conflict. You see, peace exists in turmoil, not when the turmoil ends. Peace transcends our situational context. It can be there when we have the difficult dilemma and the hard situations, and it can be there when we don't have them. It is not dependent on our situations. It exists throughout all of it. Because God cares for the big things and the small things. I know for me, what, like, what, what, how God is really inviting me is to experience this peace like now, not when I solve this problem. Right? Now I can experience peace, not when I get to everything I want to get to and I have everything worked out the way I want it worked out. But I can experience this peace now and in it. Because that's the way like my mind works. It's like, okay, let me, let me figure this whole piece out. Let me knock out at least eight things out of the 10 things on the to-do list, right? Let me do all these things and then I can relax, right? It's always like work and play, you know? That's what I was taught anyway, right? You do what you got to do, and then you, can, then you can relax. But we translate that into, well, let me, let me figure out my situation, and then I'll be okay, and then I'll be safe, and then I'll be whole. And Jesus is saying, no, you can be safe and whole and well now. And let that guide you into all the other things that you have to do. Let that guide you into every problem you have to solve. Let that guide you in everything you got to get done. Not after. 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Man, we could just do that <laughs> every day. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Like it says all, right? Not just the big ones. Not just the little ones. Not just the things we can't control, but also things maybe we can control that we're supposed to give up. And so how, how do we give that up? Like, I think of it this way. If you've ever had to like, or been able to like hand over responsibility of like a project or an assignment to someone, someone says, hey, I can help you with that. And you're like, great, take it. I no longer have to carry this responsibility. Thank you for doing that. Call me when it's done. <laughs> right? And like just how that weight is lifted because you don't have to like deal with that anymore. That's what it's like here that, that Peter is saying, hey, God's going to take care of it. You actually don't have to be responsible for this. Just relax because he actually cares about you. Now, one thing I realized over the years is that I try to do this, but I end up not doing it because while I say that God cares for me, I didn't actually believe that he cared for me because of my own experiences. So sometimes we just need to be able to believe that God actually cares for us. 
you know, one thing it says in the scripture is like God would not withhold any good thing from his children. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, why would he withhold anything? Why would he? And so we have to develop that trust, that belief that he does care so that we can actually give it to him and release that weight. So, you know, we look for peace in many ways, like we all do. Like, no one wants to not be at peace, right? But often the way we do it is through our boundaries, through our protections. And so we create boundaries in our hearts, in our souls, in our relationships, so that we can make sure that it doesn't get crossed and that we don't get hurt, so that we can be well. Like we, we, we protect what's ours so we can make sure that we can be at peace. We create simulations of our mind of what someone else might do. And in that worst case scenario, I know that I'm going to be okay. So I'm going to take care of my own. Now, a lot of those things aren't inherently bad, but that's not the pathway to peace. So last week we talked about Simeon and and, and, and Anna. You know, they had this particular devotion to God, and they just they just spent time with him. And 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 what we see in the scripture with Simeon is that the Holy Spirit was on him. Okay? And so we have this guy Simeon, and the Holy Spirit is on him. And then we come across here into the into the infancy narrative, into this birth narrative, and we're just like, the Holy Spirit's all over the place, right? Like talking to Joseph, talking to Mary, making babies. The Holy Spirit's doing a whole bunch of stuff. Right? But this is what's really interesting to me that, that, that we need to look at is that before now, the Holy Spirit came to people for just a couple reasons, for just a couple instances, and then was gone. Like the Holy Spirit would come to give someone a prophecy. Okay, cool. Later, the Holy Spirit would come to, to, give, to inspire them to, to write or to create or to do something but it wasn't a regular occurrence. See, we don't think about that because we're like post-Pentecost when it is a regular occurrence. And yet we see this guy, Simeon, who just hung out with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. We have all these encounters with the Spirit and with, with, with Mary and Joseph that just aren't normal. <laughs> and so what that tells me, what I hope it tells us is that it needs to lead us to becoming friends with the Holy Spirit. To be able to <clears throat> just be and experience and live with him. Because out of that comes the power to experience the peace that we're all looking for. Because it can't come through our own effort, no matter how much we try. I've tried it. 
It, it just it doesn't work. It has to come from this power, from this spirit. Something else that really is, is interesting in this story, as we look at, as we look at Joseph and we're talking about peace. So it said that Joseph decided to divorce her quietly. Now, at the beginning of the story, it said Joseph was a righteous person. He was faithful to the law. That's what we see at the beginning of the story. And, and so because he was faithful, he wanted to do the right thing. And he's trying to figure out what that is. And so it said because of his righteousness, the law says Mary is supposed to be disgraced publicly. That shows she was supposed to be shamed publicly and have like this public show of their divorce. But Joseph didn't do that. He's like, well, no, I'm going to do it quietly. We're going to grab two witnesses. We're going to keep this in secret because I don't want to shame her. And so it's interesting because the law said one thing, but the law created a mercy in Joseph that led him to do what the actual right thing was to do. See, that's the thing we miss in, in, in a, like a lot of the scripture. We get so focused on like keeping the rules and the regulations that we're missing what they're designed to do, which is to create in us mercy and compassion and justice and kindness and gentleness. Like that's what it does. And that's what it did in Joseph. It created this mercy. And as we demonstrate mercy, as we demonstrate mercy, we can experience the peace of God. So what is God asking of you? As you spend time with God and experience his mercy, it creates a mercy in us. Because that's the thing, like, when someone demonstrates mercy towards me, it's like I, I, I can't help but want to demonstrate to, to someone else. Because the thing about mercy is that it's, it's undeserved, right? And so when God demonstrates his undeserved mercy towards me, I can't help but do it with somebody else. And so what mercy can you demonstrate? Who in your life could use some mercy right now that's not getting it from anywhere else? If peace comes from his presence, his presence is what we need and that's what we seek. So we have to cease from this manufactured peace. We have to cease from all the things we do to create the peace we're looking for. And proceed towards a path of devotion towards God and mercy received from him and expressed towards others. You know, it works both ways. Just as I experience God's mercy and can demonstrate that mercy towards others, so too, as I demonstrate mercy towards others, I can experience more of God's mercy. It's like the cyclical effect. It's a wonderful thing. And as that happens, as we demonstrate mercy towards others, that peace comes. And now, 
don't get it twisted because this is like what happens. We get so focused on like the formula. It's not earned. Because there's some people here, we're just like, you just need peace right now, like whatever it's going to take. And so we cry out, and this peace comes because it's free, because it's been paid for. And so that's all you got to do. But there are, then there are some who, like, who want to go deeper towards a pathway of peace and like a regular kind of peace. And what I see God teaching us is that we can experience that as we get into the habit of devotion and mercy. And this is why. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness, let mercy, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God with trans- and the peace of God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, demonstrate gentleness and mercy, pray, and the peace of God. Now, this is, a, this is like an important qualifier in this peace of God. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. This is the peace that you just can't understand. Like, this is the peace that just don't make any kind of sense at all. Like, that's the peace I'm looking for, that I don't have to explain, that I can't actually manufacture on my own. This is the peace that comes from heaven that guards my mind and my heart and transcends anything I can possibly understand. This is the peace he's inviting us into. Okay, let's look at some practical tips. Very quickly. Spend some time reflecting this week on opportunities you have to show mercy and gentleness towards someone. Spend a few minutes in silence. Let the Spirit take your mind to those places. Become present to them and seek out mercy. <coughs> Number two. Practice breath prayer. Now I'm going to talk about what that is briefly for a little bit but the actual practice is, is, is going to be available. And so breath prayer is something that goes back thousands of years, okay? And it's a type of presence and prayer with God that allows us to just be with God, to just sit with him and to experience his presence and his peace. But as we get into a rhythm of it, it becomes normal, And so that's kind of like this devotion part that we're talking about and allows us to see who God is is asking us to be merciful towards. Also allows us to receive his mercy because we can experience his presence. And so I'm going to give you a quick summary of it, but again, the full guide is online. So to practice breath prayer, 
you basically just, you start with pondering the nearness of God. You get into a quiet place and you just begin to just think about God being close to you. And so you settle deeply into the truth that Christ is in you. That's the starting point. And you deeply breathe in, repeating any name of God that is dear to you. And so I'll say, Abba. And then as you exhale, you voice a deep desire of your heart. And when you exhale, you offer up the desire of your heart. The brevity of this prayer allows it to be repeated over and over throughout the day. And so often when I do this prayer, I breathe in Abba, which means dad. I use that name a lot for God. We see it in scripture. It's like it's more than father, king, it's like dad. Abba, come close to me. And I breathe out. Abba, I need your love. And, and, and that's all it is. And it like, this is the thing. It sounds super simple, so it's not like spiritual enough, right? <laughs> right? But you remember that story in the scripture when Jesus told like that dude to get healing, to like go to the river, put money in your eyes, like all that kind of, it's like, it's like, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, when he did it, he like got healed. Sometimes it's the simple things. Because I know, and like, th so this is what kind of more me and, and kind of my, my struggles. It's just like, when something's too easy, I'm like, oh, I haven't worked hard enough to, to get it. Surely that can't be God. <laughs> Oh, wait. That's exactly how God operates. His grace and his mercy are not earned. And so it's simple, but as we practice it, in my experience, and, and so I can speak for me and the many others who have done this, it just, it begins to become a real life encounter with God regularly. And then that peace is very attainable. Because I think sometimes it seems like that peace is so far away and it's just like that, that whole peace that transcends understanding is like a myth, right? It sometimes feels like. And I know that as I have practiced this, that it's become real. So I want to encourage you into that. All right, let's stand. It's a little bit hard to do breath prayer right now when you're like coughing all the time. <laughs> so we're getting ready to enter into communion. And so in this season of celebrating the birth of Jesus, we also remember his sacrifice for us. The table, that is the communion table, is a place to remember his birth and his ultimate sacrifice. But it's also a place to experience the unimaginable peace his sacrifice provided for us. Like he paid the ultimate cost so that we can experience this peace. And so as we remember and as we honor that cost, as we honor what he has done, it makes sense that in the honoring of it, we can also experience that peace that we can't attain on our own. And so I want that to let you guide you as you take communion. 
to think about that, to ponder that, to, to seek that out as you take the bread and the wine. So let's break bread in honoring of his mercy and in seeking his peace. So we do communion very simply here at the vineyard. There are three stations, one under each projector, one in the back. And so you come up as you're ready. And as you're thinking about these things, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice. And as you pray and as you seek God, you partake. And we practice open communion. And so what that means is if you want to partake in this practice with us, we welcome you. Everyone is invited because everyone's invited to Jesus' table. But there's some of you where you're just, there's something specifically stirring in you. And you're not certain about Jesus this whole birth thing, all that kind of stuff. But this peace that is promised is something that you are looking for and you want to, you meet Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the table as well. And to also after that, come up and receive prayer. And so after communion, we're going to worship some more and then we're going to have some time of prayer. Okay, let's partake.